We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. Oh! All right, everyone. Welcome into another Buzz Beat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. I am Richie, and be sure to give us a rating and review. Make sure you guys are subscribed so you guys get the episodes the minute they come out. We always appreciate those subscriptions and those ratings and those reviews. Also, our Buy Me a Coffee site is linked in the episode notes. Uh, that's our website where you can make a donation and get access to exclusive content. We also have free content as well. Right now, our supporters have access to a five-minute read on Nerland's Noel and his potential fit as a free agent signing. Also, I do need to give a shout-out to our latest BMC supporters on the pod. We've got Ian, Cam, Owen Watterson, and Darren Vaught. Thanks for listening, guys, and, and thanks for donating as well. BG, uh, you do some broadcasting with Darren. Do you have any stories that you can share about him? Um, nothing too. He's too polished uh, to have like a a great embarrassing story. Uh, no, Darren is a really good guy. One of the top, you know, play by play broadcasters, I would say in the, you know, in the state or the Southeast, but um, I'm fortunate enough to get a call high point men's basketball games with him the last couple of years and do some uh, radio calls from the, the ACC tournament as well. Great guy, great broadcaster, and uh, yeah, no, I wish I had come prepared with a better Darren's. I'm sure I've got something, but just nothing, uh, nothing coming to the top of my head. But uh, thanks to DV and everyone else that, that supported the site. We really appreciate it. We've got Spencer with us as well. Hope you're doing well. I know you're excited to talk about Shangoon today, Spencer, because I get the vibe out of the three of us. You may be the highest on him. Yeah, that's, that's probably fair. I, I like Shangoon a lot. Man, I just love watching him play offensively. He's a pretty polished um youngster so looking forward to it doing well uh what the draft's like what is it 15 days away it's on the 28th is that right or yeah, is it uh, it's on the 29th uh, 29th oh sorry 29th yeah, yeah. okay so it's still it's, two weeks away same thing yeah it's hard to believe we're so close i mean it just feels like we just had a draft <laughs> so here we are again. The, the draft cycles are just crazy because like yeah. you had so you had how many months you know, you had 16, 17 months leading into the 2020 draft, all the pandemic dragging out. There was really nothing else going on, but just to like watch tape and and talk about the draft. But then because of that, you only had, 
you know, then eight months or seven months before this draft comes along and it'll be, I guess, 11 months before we get the next one. So the stuff moves. I've like, I've already started 2022 draft prep. So I, uh, I'm, I'll be ready to turn the page, but yeah, it's crazy. that 2021 is, uh, getting here so quickly. Another real good one. I know for sure. But, um, yeah, it's, it's fun. I've been thinking a lot recently just about, all the things that could that could happen here in the next three weeks for the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, I think there's a lot of trades on the table. Obviously, free agency is going to be quite a bit of fun and a little nerve wracking, if you ask me. Uh, and then the draft, which we're going to discuss today. So we're closing in on some busy Hornets news uh, yeah. a few weeks, I think. Yeah. Did you did you guys by any chance see that Richie? You just wrote a a, a profile about uh, Rashawn Holmes at the site. Did you guys by any chance see any of the photos of? Um, it's like a lot of the Sacramento Kings working out yeah. together in the offseason, but no, uh, no, no, Rashad right. Holmes I saw that in the, uh, in the building. I do wonder, were there any other free agents? Like I, I obviously didn't look up and down the list. So it, you know, it might make sense because he is a free agent, doesn't want to get injured or something like that. Totally. Yeah. 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 I but, just, I do think it's a little, it does seem like Devante is still around the, uh, the Charlotte true. facility a little bit, but yeah, but even that is like a little peculiar just because he is, you know, set to be a free agent too. Right. I saw an Instagram pic from Monk the other day that was, um, it was not pictures of the workout. It was only two pair of basketball shoes. Now, who knows what gym who he was in um, <laughs> or who he was with, but one of the pairs of shoes was teal and purple. So all I, don't right. know, I don't know if he's trying to be cryptic or what, but that's all. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So we will get to uh Sangoon later in the podcast. I want to actually start with Jalen Johnson. I think Brian and Spencer both wanted to talk about him. And actually this is good because I've not really looked into him and they forced me to kind of look into this guy, freshman out of Duke, six, nine, 220 pounds, got a good NBA frame. When you just kind of look at his build, I think he's got like a plus two wingspan at 6'11". So it's not bad, but nothing really to write home about. Uh, in terms of his athletic profile, he's a pretty quick guy. Uh, he can get vertical off the ground fairly quick. Uh, he's got good speed. And that kind of leads me into one of his biggest assets. And I think that's his open floor offense. I think that's where you're going to see probably an immediate impact is that transition offense. He really excels there. I think that's predicated a lot on his handle, his vision, and even his willingness to pass the ball. I mean, he's not a guy that is so locked in on himself that he wants to get all the buckets. He has a willingness to pass, especially in transition offense, can drive and kick to uh, three-point shooters or drive and kick to guys that are cutting towards the basket. And he just really wants to attack anytime there's space for him to do so. He, he feels like a guy that has this athleticism and frame, and he's able to draw the attention with his drives and, and force opponents to collapse. So I do think that's one of his biggest assets right away on the NBA level. Now, when we're talking about offense, and again, we can obviously branch off to defense as well, where I saw the most concerning parts was when the offense slowed down in the half court, like it, because of his shot, because he can't, you know, get much wiggle and, and create space for himself. And, and his form doesn't seem that great either. And his free throw shooting is not really a good indicator. That's, that's where I worry about this guy. So transition offense, great half court offense. I, I think it's going to be a project for him. And uh, that's just kind of how I view him on the offensive side of the court. So, Brian, I'll pass it to you because I know that you follow ACC sports and, and Duke specifically. So, Jalen Johnson, I know he's only played, what, 13 games at Duke? So, yeah. th- thoughts on Jalen? 
Yeah, uh, let's just let's start off with the uh, the the athleticism stuff. Uh, measurements at the combine, uh, just a little under six eight, uh, eight ten standing reach in a wingspan that was like a notch above seven feet. So he's plus a couple inches uh, in terms of the the wingspan via the combine. The you talked about the speed. I, I think he's not the quickest guy going like zero to sixty. But because in the open floor, which you mentioned, he's he gets to ramp up a little bit. And I think once he gets going in a straight line, he can be pretty fast and sort of just like to, can can eat up space because of his his frame. Um, that's one of the times where I do think, you, you know, his length and his size is like pretty functional. Uh, vertically, like obviously he can he can really do some explosive stuff on the break in transition, but doesn't get off the floor very quickly. Slow load time, lateral quickness, not great. Struggles to change directions. Uh, but some of the other stuff that is good: coordination, body control. Uh, some of the body control moments and flashes that come with him, you know, finishing around the the rim, especially in transition. Um, those are on the roll. Those are pretty good. And, and Richie, you sort of like touched on, and, and before we move to defense, we should we should really focus in and zero in on Jalen Johnson's offense mm-hmm. and sort of like the role that we think of him fitting into. You mentioned the transition game. I mean, he can be a dangerous um, sort of like open floor playmaker. I think that's the spot where his playmaking and passing skills are on um, full display. And like I said, that's where you get sort of like the best bits of his athleticism too. And it's where he can really ramp up, get to full speed and get to the top. uh, You know, it's sort of like the apex vertical leap that he has to offer as well. But for the most part, you're looking at like a point forward, a guy that can give you some, some playmaking and both the half court uh, in ways that are maybe going to be a little less conventional in the open court. He's a very good passer and he's got good size. I mean, he's not, you know, we talked. We've talked about Scotty Barnes and Kate Cunningham on here. Like he's not those guys, but um, but he can be a very good passer and do it in a bunch of different ways. And then his short roll, his rolling to the rim, his pick and pop into space, and then attacking closeouts. Um, so basically, like his his usage as a screener in the half court is sort of like where you get the best bit of that. I do think some of that comes with the right matchup. Like some of his better attacking possessions at Duke came when he was defended by a five. Um, you know, Duke would run pick and pop. He'd slip into space and then attack the closeout from the recovering big man. Um, again, nice body control. Assuming there's no resistance at the rim does not handle contact all that well and to be clear like he's he's like not really like a great screener either although i think some of that is like duke and system dependent we've talked about this in relation to vernon carey jr guys not like really holding their screen before trying to to roll and and get downhill so you know can he be a perimeter creator there are lots of tools the height the passing coordinated athlete the handle little subpar. So I don't know. It's, it's tough to think of like the best spot to fit him in, in terms of the, the half court, but he's raw. Um, there's a lot of upside given some of his athletic traits in the passing, but the shot is bad. Um, there's very little reason to buy the shot, the jump shot at the moment, especially like shooting off the dribble and the touch itself is not all too good either in terms of like, you know, trying to finish from the, you know, the, the floater zone in that six to seven, eight to 10 feet range, not really great in there either, but the passing's great. 
The vision is good, makes pretty good reads, sees different sides of the courts, sees cutters, sees shooters, good kickout passer. So there's some real some real stuff to like here with Jalen Johnson, but there are some very real concerns in terms of his uh, his half court offense too. I think that Johnson is a worthy prospect, you know, in the lottery. Obviously, a very incomplete season and, and resume, you know, at Duke only playing 13 games. Um, and in those 13 games, you know, just playing about a little over 20 minutes a game. So there's not a lot to go off of here. You know, for me, it starts with his passing. I mean, I think that's really his greatest asset as a player right now. Uh, I do like when Duke posted him up, um, you know, put him in that short corner area, elbow area. Uh, you know, as Brian touched on, he, he's really good at seeing the floor. He can get it to the opposite corner. He can find cutters. He's got a good feel for the game in terms of being able to break it down and read it um, when he's got the ball able to face up and make a play with it. I think he's a good straight line athlete. I mean, we learned that in transition. Uh, those were probably his greatest highlights, right? The, the most eye-popping highlights that he has on film from his little time at Duke. Um, but the lateral movement on both sides, uh, you know, obviously specifically defensively is where it really shows up. That's a concern. I don't know if that's tied to him still learning, you know, that aspect of the game, uh, need, needing more polished footwork, if it's truly just an – an athleticism deficiency for him or it is tied to his past injuries. So th- that is a little bit of a concern. I think that his medical uh, and what teams are able to see in that uh, since BG, I know he had a foot injury last year at Duke and the details on that, at least as far as I know, were never really revealed. So, I, you know, I think his medicals are going to be very important for teams. And obviously there, there's some character questions about him, which there's not much information out, out there about that either, but the whole situation uh, about him leaving Duke early, BG, I think he uh, remind me about his high school career. I think he left a, a high school or two. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so there's some things that followed him yeah. into that part of his past. He never played for he, IMG. He never played for yeah. IMG. Yeah, he left. He's from Wisconsin. He left to go to IMG, um, ended up not playing there. But he also even had some health concerns um, in high yeah. school as well. So, like, he's bounced around, you know, uh, a fair amount. And, uh, yeah, it was about mid-February this year is when he um, declared for the draft. Yeah, you know, a little over halfway through the the season. So, you know, I, I don't think you could ask anybody in their right mind that any of that is a positive, right? So there's a lot of homework to do with this prospect. But I think you look at him, 6'9", 220. There's versatility on offenses, I think, has already been well covered. And then defensively, more to tap into. Um you know, not not the best lateral athlete, good vertical athlete, but he's long, as you guys discussed, and you can place him in a lot of different uh, situations, matchups on the floor. He's one of these guys where I'm starting to warm up to the idea of him if he's there at 11 for Charlotte, which he does feel like he's going to be at this point, just because and BG and I were texting about this um, on Sunday. I think it's, you just can't have enough of these guys on your roster, right? These versatile wings, especially young ones like Johnson, where there's development he- to be done here. That's very obvious, but it's very unclear uh, of exactly how much more development there. Like, what else is there to tap into? Can he be a secondary ball handler that can initiate some offense out of a pick and roll? Uh, at some point in his, in his career, can he be an above average, if not, you know, an elite defensive wing? I mean, 
I wouldn't bet on any of those things, but I also wouldn't tell you that they're impossible. It's not an impossible outcome with Jalen Johnson. Um, you know, BG talked about the the shot. It, it looks bad right now. It is <laughs> looks like a robot shooting the basketball a little bit. He shoots it on the way down. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no fluidity to it. So it, he's got a long way to go on that end. But, you know, if you're talking about a high upside pick at 11 at a position that is the most valuable position in the NBA, I think it's hard to look at Johnson and say that it would it would not be worth the flyer for Charlotte. Let's say if the their top two options there were gone, so it, it, it's it's a high risk, high variance pick, but yeah. um, but I think there's a lot of upside here. Yeah, both of you guys mentioned the, the side to side mobility, and I, I want to stick with that on the defensive side real quick because I think we've hit enough on the offense. I think his side-to-side mobility is is not great uh, just by watching him play uh, in these short sample uh, 13 games here. But he he looks like a guy that's athletic. You would think that he would have this side-to-side mobility. But I will say this, after kind of watching him that that type of stuff, like on ball defense, one on one defender, it's not quite there yet. But he does have some instincts, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. If you're seeing something different, like I feel like he has some weak side block potential. He averaged 1.2 blocks per game. I know that's only a, a limited sample size there. He's not a, he's not a rim protector in the, in the you know traditional sense where he is just basically bodying up a guy on a straight line drive. I think there's a difference between that type of person versus maybe someone that can you know instinctually help off a guy on the weak side block and come over and help out his teammate and block a guy at the rim. I feel like he's more of a team defender than he is a one-on-one defender. Yeah, I mean, he he had good flashes of weak side rim protection this year and emphasis on flashes. Like, it's not like he can anchor a defense on uh, the back line, but it is another area where you do see him apply his his length. And a lot of that also depends on his motor, which tends to run hot and cold, too. Um, he's Like I said, he's got earlier, he's got some mobility, but a lack of, lack of flexibility hurts him in these situations. Um, as a one-on-one defender, just like kind of like beaten repeatedly by both big guys in the post or wings on drives, given his strength uh, and athletic traits compared to college players, guys in the ACC, pretty disappointing, honestly. Uh, had some nice moments as like a pick and roll switch defender, blocked Jose Alvarado one time during one of the Georgia Tech games on a one on one situation after a switch, but just plenty of moments when even a perimeter shooter type. Uh, not even like a driver would just get go right by him and go to the rim. Like I remember Cormac Ryan from Notre Dame, who's like a pure movement shooter, just smoked him. And just a, a lack of flexibility could could really cost him there. You know, if his length just sort of like does wouldn't allow him to make up the difference. Duke switched a lot one through five, which was part of the game plan to play Jalen Johnson and Matthew Hurt together. And I, and I, I want to touch on that more on Hurt and Johnson on the offensive end before we close out on him. But they wanted to switch th- with those two guys. And so they even had Matthew Hurt switching one through five, Jalen Johnson switching one through four, one through five. And when that didn't work, Duke played a lot of zone this season, uh, three, two or a one, two, two, like however you want to slice it up. Um, so that, that limits some of, you know, his man to man assignments and opportunities. And I think this is less important because in the NBA, he'll, he'll switch a lot or whatever, but he was awful as a pick and roll drop defender, um, at Duke bad initial position, not an athletic stance sucking mud when the downhill driver would get to his level, uh, you mean, even if Jalen Johnson was in position to meet the guard at the point of attack, he was just getting blown right by. 
Um, but in the NBA, I mean, I like I don't like you're not going to really ever play drop with Jalen Johnson in the NBA. So that's not like a huge thing. But maybe it speaks to some of his other sort of like defensive one on one concerns and sort of trying to corral or stay in front of guys that have a little more uh, zip with the basketball. Like that, that is a bit of a, a bit of a bit of an issue with Jalen Johnson. Yeah, I mean, I think to what Brian was adding, I mean, he's one of these guys, again, you can you can see mostly because of his physical profile where there's really there's some real upside um, him in transition, good straight line athlete. But he just does nothing. You can't point to anything that's above average, right, that he does. And he doesn't have an elite skill uh, yet. And. You know, defensively, you know, Brian was touching all the things that he really struggles with, and it's obvious on film. And and my question with these kind of guys is always, is it because Miles Bridges looked like this on film out of Miss Michigan State, and he looked like this his rookie year too, and some of his sophomore year, right? So it took a while to come online. Now he doesn't look like this guy. But is it is it that they're stiff, that it's injury tied tied to injuries, um, that they're physically not capable of doing it, or is it that this kid has not been coached? because he's been moving around his whole life. Right. And, and I would add this to finish on this and maybe Brian has some thoughts, but Duke is not a, it's as far away from a defense elite defensive breeding ground as it probably gets in college basketball. And there's some reasoning behind that, but you know, you would imagine that for Johnson being in the ACC at Duke would have been his first opportunity to really be coached on that end. I don't think many guys are, you know, like Brian said, they either play zone or they switch everything yeah. uh, to cover up a lot of deficiencies. And so he, I don't really think Johnson had an opportunity to sharpen the ax on that end. So I, I'm not completely writing it off defensively with him. Yeah. The, uh, you know, Duke, I think, you know, the program was built on this sort of like aggressive man to man gap defense, deny, deny, deny attack, you know, really extend the pressure point, the point of attack. You know, if they have the personnel for that now, like if they have a Trey Jones, they'll 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 do that. Maybe they'll do it some with Jeremy Roach this year. But for the most part, you know, they want to just switch everything, keep everything in front of them. Um, and if they have the special athletes, then let those guys, you know, go out and be great. If you have Zion or Cam Reddish, let those guys turn up in the passing lane. Um, it's less good if it's someone like Cassius Stanley, who was a nice prospect out of Duke a year ago, but is sort of clueless away from the basketball. One thing I do want to bring up on Johnson, though, uh, in, in we're, since we're talking about Duke, uh, I want to bring this up before we get out of here. Moving back to offense, like context is important. Um, Duke's roster makeup this season wasn't great. Uh, we've talked about this. I feel like a lot last year when we were talking about Cole Anthony with regards to UNC's personnel around him, and it's not the same thing, but with Duke, you didn't have much wing shooting, especially early in the season when Wendell Moore Jr. was struggling. You know, it was really just DJ Stewart, um, and he was inconsistent. Uh, Duke sort of did a nice job, I think, early on pairing Jalen Johnson with Matthew Hurt. And, and so, you know, playing him with another big guy hurt at the five that could um, really shoot. And so you could see what they were trying to go for, right? Which was, all right, we don't have a point guard. Trey Jones is gone. You know, Jeremy Roach, uh, Jordan Goldwire, DJ Stewart, all these guards are fine, but they, they can't really be a primary guy that, you know, Wendell Moore Jr. can give us some playmaking. I think they were really, Duke was really banking on Jalen Johnson being, like, you know, maybe not a primary for them, but the guy that created the most half court offense for them. And unfortunately, yep. that was a bet that 
was bad for a variety of reasons. Um, but they even tried running some four or five pick and roll out of horns or a little chin pick and roll that, that turned into four or five pick and roll with Johnson and, and Matthew Hurt or Jeremy Brakefield. But it was really simple for teams to switch on those actions and just stay in front of Johnson. And he just routinely could not beat centers, college centers, uh, in the half court with his dribble. And that ultimately is why that Duke offense really didn't hum all that much because they bet on Jalen Johnson being a guy that could bend defenses and pressure the rim with his dribble. And he was far better getting to the rim either in transition or on the roll, like as the, as the screener and roll into the hooper, getting to downhill on the short roll. Um, and they did some of that with Vernon Carey Jr. and Matthew Hurt two seasons ago too. So it's not like they, they drew that stuff up just for JJ and, and Hurt, but... Um, they even would run like straight spread floor ISO with Jalen Johnson, do like an early, like handoff pitch action, like kind of between half court and the three point line, almost like how, you know, Nick nurse and the Raptors will do for Siakam. But, uh, like those, those plays would just go nowhere, you know? And, and even in Jalen Johnson's, like the best game he had at Duke, which was the, the game up at Pitt he still struggled getting by Justin Champagny, who's a, you know, another hybrid forward, uh, all ACC type player that like Jalen just couldn't get by. His, like the best moments he had in that pick game were against Koulibaly. They were against Terrell Brown. These are like college centers. Um, and I do think because of this role, they were asking him Johnson to play. It put a fair amount of strain on him. Uh, it's just, yes, yeah, some of the matchups were less favorable and his lateral quickness was getting matched up against a lot of like wingy college fours. So Jordan Usher at Georgia Tech, Jalen Withers at Louisville, uh, J- uh, Justin Champagne, who I just mentioned, even a mobile five like Juwan Durham at Notre Dame. And he just could not, he couldn't beat those guys. He could, the same thing happened when they played Michigan State. Like in the half court, he laterally could not turn the corner with the basketball around those guys. Um, this season at Duke, he played only 278 minutes. 189 of those were with Hurt. Duke was only plus 14 in those minutes. Some of those minutes did come with J.J. at the four, Matthew Hurt at the four, and Mark Williams at the five, which is a was a disaster lineup that they occasionally tried that I actually wrote about a couple times <laughs> during the season because it was just a really bad thought process to try to work with that lineup. And look, Duke really found it's the best gear they had all season, really, after Jalen left. And I don't think it's because... Oh, it was, you know, the viewing theory or they just needed his personality to lock him. I don't think it was anything like that. It was, they allowed them to put Mark Williams at the five. They moved Matthew Hurt to the four. And all of a sudden the half court matchups got a lot better for them. And Mark Williams could be a pressure point for them at the five uh, in the pick and roll game, which is what they needed. And Hurt could post up more on fours. And it just, everything clicked into place for them late in the season because of that stuff. And Wendell Moore Jr. started to play better too, which was helpful, but just like, Context isn't everything, but it is definitely important with Jalen Johnson and those moments like his inabilities in the half court at Duke to beat guys laterally because he's he's a little stiff. He's a little rigid with the basketball plays a little upright. You know, he can get stonewalled by some guys and when he can't get around them. That's also when he has a tendency to make some really bad decisions, try to like throw passes into windows that aren't there. And some of those passes, it was like, oh, no, he's, you know, that he has good vision. He's seeing something ahead of time. 
a lot of times those passes also felt like an eject button on a, just a dead possession. Right. And just like a, I can't get by this guy. All right, you do it. And he would just throw the ball into the, into a crowd or throw it to a player that he thought was going to cut. That wasn't going to cut. So yeah, like Jalen has big time potential. Um, but I do think at least in the immediate future, it's going to be context dependent as it has to how much he can actually help, help your half court offense. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, I want to do this thought exercise. I know this was not on the script. I was just thinking about this as we were talking about Jalen Johnson, another Johnson, Keon Johnson. I feel like these players have some similarities in the sense that they're both raw. They have some upside to them. And they have some limitations as well, especially shooting the ball. I have eight categories. Just give me a one-word answer, Jalen or Keon. You tell me which guy fits the bill better for this category. And we're just going to go down the list here. So in terms of Keon versus Jalen Johnson, who is the better playmaker, Spencer? Keon, barely. And neither of them are good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they, they both have flashes. Um, they both have flashes. I'll say, I'll say Jalen, but it's, it's close. I'll say Jalen as well. All right. Shooting. <laughs> this is a, uh, this is a tough one. We'll go to BG first. Shooting. <laughs> God, these are, they're both horrendous shooters. I will say, uh, Keon, but man, it's tough to say they're like, he, he was a really bad shooter this year at yeah. Tennessee. I agree with you on yeah, that Keon, one. Keon. Keon. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I think Keon has a lot more potential moving forward. Yeah. He at least can shoot Mid-range. a pull-up jumper. Yeah. Like Jalen can't really do that right now. <laughs> All right. Handles. I'm going to go with Jalen on this one. Mm, this one's tough, too. I, I, I actually think Keon here. Yeah. Um, he's only got two or three dribbles in the bag right now. But as BG was just touching on, he can get to that pull-up. I, I think I think he's got a much better chance of being a half-court initiator. Yeah. I, I would go Keon with as far as just pure handles. Yeah. This one is probably going to be an obvious one on ball defense. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's Keon easily. Okay. Yes. I, and, and I even like Keon's on ball defense more than probably the consensus. I think he's a lot of potential there. He's a good on ball defender. What about Very off, good on ball defender. off ball defense? I, I, I like Jalen here. I, I was going to say when we were talking about him a little bit ago, I, 
it's not always good risk taking, but he is willing to be a def- defensive playmaker. You you guys touched on the uh, you know the weak side block potential. I you know he also averaged over a steal a game. Um, the indicators are not terrible there, so I, I actually like Jalen for this. Yeah, I'll say Jalen because of the um, the length. And, and yeah, like the, the team, the flashes of team defense that he had at Duke this year was some of the best stuff he did. Like the, you know, during the, you know, 300 minutes he played in Durham. I would agree there. Active team defender. All right. Three more rebounding. I'm going to go Jalen here for this. rebounding. I mean, I know it's tough. <laughs> yeah, Jalen, but I will say I touched on his, like his issues with contact. Like he has good defensive rebounding numbers, right? But rebounding situations, uh, it's another one of those areas where he gets pushed around a little bit, but I'll, I'll say, I'll say Jalen Johnson. It's, it's funny. You mentioned the, uh, avoiding contact. Like he did that at the rim, but he still finished with a good number at the rim. So it's just, it's just interesting to see that. All right. Two more upside. Hmm. This one's difficult this as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to lean Keon here though. I, I think his athletic, how he has popped athletically since the end of the season. I mean, people already knew he was a great athlete, right. but what we've learned since then. And I think the offensive skill set that there's to tap into specifically in the half court with the ball in his hands. I think it's key on here. Oh, it's, it's tough to say, man, both these guys like could be like, there, there's, there's some realities. There's some development arcs they tap into where either of these guys could be like, you know, the fifth or sixth best prospect in this draft. You know, I will say, boy, I'm going to say Jalen. I'm going to say Jalen. Brian, you break the tie. You'll say Jalen. <laughs> oh, God. I'd rather just keep it as a tie almost. Um, No, I'll say uh, I'll go... I'll go Keon because I'm, because I'm tapping into the... Again, the shot. Uh, he may, Keon may never develop the shot. And yeah. if he does, it's still going to take time. But it's easier for me to see him getting... Him having a more reliable jumper at this stage... If I'm thinking about who's more likely to stay on the court, uh, like in a playoff game or whatever, I, you yeah. know, I'm I'm sort of thinking about who gets the jump shot first and and how like how versatile can that can that shooting be? Mm-hmm. Um, so because of that, I'll go I'll go I'll go Keon, but that that's tough because of Johnson's sort of like big wing potential. And one quick thought on on this specific question, Richie. I, I just think Keon does have one thing he does in the elite level right now, and that is defend the basketball. Yeah. Like heat the ball up at the point of attack. I, I I think he's the best in this class at that. Yeah, I guess I when I can when I consider about what he has right now, I guess I consider that more of the floor than the upside. But I, I get your point. Uh, the variance with uh, Jalen here is just so large. All right, so. If both are available, this is the last category. If both are available at 11, who would you rather draft for the Hornets? I'm going to, even though I feel like I answered Jalen with most of these, I'm actually going to stick with Keon here just because of the floor aspect. I trust him more. Hmm. Yeah, I think if Keon is there, I don't, I really don't expect Keon to be there at 11. But if he is, I I think I am. It's, I got to think about it. I got to hear other opinions in the room, but I think I am drafting him over Jalen Johnson. I just feel more confident. You you put his outcome in in an algorithm a hundred times. I just feel better of what what it's going to spit out more than I I do Jalen Johnson's. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because like 11 is really like right at the start of the range where I would like entertain drafting these guys. I still like, I mean, if, if you want to go for, for Keon at eight or whatever, that's fine too. I think 
sometimes when you see him mocked at like six or whatever, it's just like, <laughs> there's no way in my opinion. Um, but, but yeah, like once you get like to the, to 10, 11, I think that's when you get into his range. I'll go, I will go Keon, but I'm not like, uh, I'm not like in love with, with either of those picks necessarily. Right. right. It was an either or, but uh, yes. Yeah. All right, let's transition to the Turkish 18-year-old Alperin Sengun. Athletic profile build here, 6'10", 240. I mean, you guys can push back on this, but I would say he's a below-average athletic player. He doesn't really jump off the screen to me. When I watch this guy, it feels like when you're talking about his strengths versus his weaknesses, most of his strengths fall on the offensive side of the court, and most of his weaknesses fall on the defensive side of the court. And... I think, you know, Spencer, you talked about this in the video that you did on on Twitter about a week ago and talking about how you're pushing back on the on the idea that this guy is just a back to the basket guy, which I 100 percent agree with that statement. He's not. He's a guy that you can run offense through at various places on the court. He can be a facilitator, you know, at the high post. He can be a facilitator, low post, basically top of the key. If you want him to be stationary or on the move, uh, he could do a lot of things all over the court. I do think, obviously, in the post, his footwork is great. It's awesome. I think he's a good back-to-the-basket guy with a nice you know, set of moves down low. He, he likes the up-and-unders. He likes the spin move. But I don't think, to, to Spencer's point on his video, that that's what you're going to be pigeonholed you know, as this guy is on the offensive side of the court. And he can be used as a pick-and-roll guy, too. So, I mean, he's going to get downhill, make plays on the move. Uh, he's got vertical spacing too, even though he doesn't necessarily have the largest wingspan. But Spencer, because it feels like you are the highest on this guy, uh, I, I will throw it to you first in just terms of like, what do you love about this guy? I, I mean, I love his feel for the game. It pops immediately. You don't have to watch him very long. Offensively, he's he's <laughs> he's very, very, very polished um, at his age. And he's still not 19 years old. Uh, you know what he did in the Turkish Super League last year, winning MVP. Um, the numbers he put up, you know, uh, you know, above 63% effective field goal percentage, above 69% uh, total shooting. He shoots it well from the line. Um, Richie, you touched on how he can be a playmaker from the top of the arc. He can be a pick and pop guy that not can't necessarily threaten you with the shot yet. I do think that's coming online at some point. Feel pretty confident about that, but he, he, he can threaten you with to put it on the deck, overpower you another aspect of his game. That's underrated. And we know what he can do as a passer. And, you know, I think he looked off some opportunities last year to be even a better passer than he was. Uh, but I, but I think that the, the evidence is on film, which is all that's really important to me. I just I'm just like a little confused as to why there's not more of a consensus on man this this is a skilled 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 uh, 6'10 uh, prospect who's not going to get bullied you know in the NBA he's not I think his power is super underrated so the defensive concerns are obvious he's got zero clue right now he's a bad drop defender he can't get out and corral ball screens. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's not. A, I wouldn't consider him a, a rim protector. You know, I I think that you know, we've seen this with plenty of centers of his ilk in the NBA. You can survive with him because of how good he's going to be offensively. We can talk about the fits with him and Lamelo Ball. You know, I think there's conflicting opinions on that as well. I feel good about it. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, I, I just I, I just don't really get it. Like, wh- wh- I don't understand why we're making this so complicated. The, the, these kind of prospects that do this in a professional league that's one of the top three pro- professional leagues in the world as a teenager, those are fail safes. So I, I'm not I don't really understand why he's. I, I, I considered a mid first round guy. I mean, I, I do. It's, I mean, you glossed over the defense, but it's because of yeah. the defense. That's why. Like that, right. That, but that, I mean, like when you it. have this high of an offensive ceiling, like I, it, yeah. I mean, we're not yeah. so we're not arguing he's going to be the first pick. That and yeah. so it's like late lottery, <laughs> and there's still this pushback. He just won MVP at the Turkish Super League. Like, at some point, we got to like, what are we doing here? It might be a stigma against international leagues. I, I, that could very well be it. I mean, it, I do think it comes down to it's the it's the defense, and it's if he can't actually stay on the floor, if he's going to be a negative for you defensively, he has to bring so much surplus value offensively to offset that, and it's also going to impact your team building as well. Look, I like Shingun. To be clear, I'm just pointing out like these are some of the reasons why like he's not like. Uh, a lock for a, a top 10 pick or whatever, but he's still a great prospect and he has like a great offensive game. Yeah. And, and one more thought, you know, about the defense, I, I just, I don't see a guy that's incapable um, of getting to a place where he's passable. If not even a little bit above average, I mean, he's got good feet. He's got, he's not incapable as a shot blocker. He actually flashed quite a bit of that. I think, last season i mean and and i don't really like doing this stuff but i think it's worthy bringing up in this case like deandre ayton's rookie season had the league basically saying like this guy's hopeless in pick and roll defense okay and he's playing in the finals right now and he's probably the most important player for phoenix so they're not the same player but saying good is not this stuck in sand you know non-athletic center with really, really slow feet that just is hopeless on that end is never going to be able to get there. I don't see that at all. I do see a kid that <laughs> doesn't know how to do it yet, needs a little uh, m- mechanical tuning up and fundamental training on that. And, but I, that's not an impossible outcome. He's not 19 years old yet. So he's, that that part of it is not a perfect fit on the Charlotte roster, right? Like we know we don't need another <laughs> subpar defender on this roster. Everybody's well aware of that. But he is without question the highest upside to me pick that the Hornets even have a possibility of drafting at 11. Is he the safest? No, he's not the safest. But um, he's got a higher ceiling than anybody else that's going to be available there. I think it depends on who falls to 11. But but I still think even then, I, I mean, even someone like... Um, I, I don't know. I think there's, I think there are like, a, you know, a Jaden Springer type that could be there at 11 that, that has a, a pretty high ceiling too. I think with Shingun, it really comes down to like the quickness and the physicality that he has now he lacks. Can those improve? Is the, is he his max quickness that he is now? And like, I assume he'll get stronger because like Spencer said, he's, he's 18 years old. Like he'll get in an NBA, you know, weight program and get stronger, but that's something that's going to have to happen. Um, he's not very bursty. There's not a ton of vertical pop. I think his activity and hands defensively are pretty good. Perhaps that's like a good indicator that if you, if you do, if this guy's a guy that you can improve with your development staff from a physical standpoint, um, and coach him up a little bit in terms of pick and roll defense because he's sort of a mess playing the middle ground right now. That yeah, you could tap into something. And and again, the the offense could be really really good. I buy his just jump shot. 
I'm not sure at what level I buy the jump shot, but I definitely buy it. And that's, I think no matter what, no matter what you think about, um, you know, where he can get to defensively, we all know that he's, like I said a minute ago, like he's just going to have to hold surplus value offensively. And if he's going to do that, then he's got to be able to threaten from every level of the court. And that includes the three point shot. Now, I, again, I'm, I'm like Spencer brought up the free throw percentage. He shot a good number at the line this year, has a pretty good looking stroke, was just maybe a little hesitant this year. But if you can streamline and speed up that release, the mechanics look good. I think he's going to get like open three point looks, um, pick and pop threes, um, spot up three pointers in the corner. And given his passing and his work as a ball mover, like he could be really useful in those situations too. Like if he forces a closeout, you know, he can either shoot over the top of it or, or, or move it to the next guy. If it's, you know, if it's a weak side stunt or whatever, but also if he can shoot it, then that opens up different positions that he can guard. Right. Because if he can't shoot, then he exclusively has to guard centers and it's just, it could be tough. I'm not saying it's that he's not going to get better, or that it's not a possibility. It exists for sure as one of his as one of his pathways to success. But just like if he's exclusively a five, it can it could be hard building a, a winning defense around him, and then that will have an impact on your team um, and roster construction. But like the offense is awesome, man. Yeah. Um, footwork really good. His chest work really good. His touch good his post counter moves good good hands love that little quick spin he has in the post super fluid um and it's a nice way for him to create separation in the paint processes the game super well maybe at like a special level in terms of how he processes the game like really might be like uh like a a, a transcendent aspect of his game and, and I really think that trait specifically is how he found so much success playing, dominating the, the Turkish league as a, as a teenager. So I have some more thoughts on his offense, but I've been yammering on for a while now here. So I'll let, I'll let one of you guys uh, jump in. If you have any more thoughts on Shingun. I mean, you guys touched a lot on the defense. I think that clearly is the biggest concerning part of his game. And, and there's a part of me that doesn't really know if it's defending out in space or defending down low, which one is worse for him. I mean, cause his, it's funny on offense. I feel like he displays some type of strength when he has that back to the basket and he's bodying up people down there with his up and unders and spins. And it feels like he's not, it feels like he can't withstand the contact on defense as much as he can on offense, but also out in space with his below average athleticism, you know, that's where he can get into some trouble. He has this weird thing where he just kind of like lunges and, and tries to take some chances at stealing the ball sometimes. And it just puts mm -hmm. himself and his defense, you know, at a, at a pretty bad spot. So I go back and forth whether or not I like him out in space more or down low, but you know, clearly issues concerning uh, on both of those types of uh, areas of the court. And to your point, Brian, about, you know, whether this guy has the biggest upside or not at 11, there's a part of me that just doesn't want to draft him, not because, you know, I don't buy what he can bring to the NBA level, but the free agency, I feel like Hornets can get a center in free agency. I know that's not the right way to think about it because it can be unpredictable, but I think that should cross their mind. Like, hey, if there's a wing here at 11, let's draft a wing at 11 over Shangun and then try our luck in free agency with the center. 
Yeah, and that's usually the the mindset I would have too, Richie. I mean, it's why I like PJ Washington where they got him. It's like oh, it's why I like Miles Bridges. Um, take the guy you know you can plug into a role. You know, with Shingun, like he's going to be cheaper than any center. Well, maybe not any center, but most centers that you're going to go after on the free agency market, you get him into your development pipeline. I, he's going to be so young that he's going to have trade value throughout his rookie contract. I mean, I would say that's pretty high probability. Um, so from that team building perspective, I still think it makes some sense for Charlotte. Um, you know, you, you brought up, is he better as opposed or where is he worse as a post defender, uh, or in pick and roll defense? You know, I think it's and and both right now. I, I just, I worry probably less about him as a post defender because he's young. Like Brian was saying earlier, I think his body improves. I think his power is underrated. He flashes that power in the post offensively, not as much because of his pure power, but more because when you combine his footwork with his power, his pat, you know, it, it really comes across on the screen. It's like, whoa, this guy—he just moved this dude and put him in the basket. I, I think defensively, it's going to be harder uh, for him to get to. But he has a really high motor too. Nobody's mentioned that yet, and and that's another thing that I'm banking on uh, on both ends. Dude plays with a ton of passion, a lot of want to, and you know, just call me crazy, but I, I'm betting on those kind of guys too to get it. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because as we're sort of contextualizing this with Charlotte and the obvious need for a center, we've talked a lot about, you know, in, in Richie, when you've written about Nerlens Noel or Rashawn Holmes, who we've talked about plenty on this pod. We've talked about Nerlens Noel, too. We've talked about guys like Isaiah Jackson as a possibility or why Evan Mobley would have been like a dream, you know, pick for Charlotte if they could have gotten into the top two or three or whatever. But all of those guys give you like the the ability to finish above the rim. And right now, I don't think like Shingun is like a, a, a bad athlete necessarily. In fact, he has some like pretty, pretty nice, like open floor, <laughs> open floor finishes where he'll, he'll surprise you with uh, his ability to really punch it on the rim. But as like a, a lob threat, like it just sort of depends, I think, on what you're going to be looking for out of like the center position next to LaMelo. Like, is it a pick and pop uh, dribble handoff tower type or do you want a guy that can, you know, really give you the, that pressure point going to the rim? And, and some guys can do both. And like the idealized version of Shangun on offense does both with maybe not so much like the like the vertical lob uh, component necessarily, but Let's just say you do get to, let's say you do get to a point with Shangun where the defense becomes passable. Um, either he's like a, you know, he, he taps into a part of his, one of his uh, one of his outcomes where he's like he can kind of anchor a defense, and you've got at least the the, the right guys on the perimeter around him, or in in the maybe the four on the roster can give you some rim protection too, and it just works out that way. But his offense could be pretty cool. Um, I like his on and off ball activity when he's working in the high post or screening above the break, good two man activity with the ball handler, like knows when to flip the screen, when to roll, when to pop, um, with the ball, you can see him catch, scan the floor, look for cutters. Uh, if nothing's there, he can just go. I I like his vision. Um, and you can apply that with his back to the basket passing too. Like he can see the double coming. He can, you know, pass the open guy, you know, even sees the second side of the court, sees passing windows. And so I think if you get that version of him, then he becomes this sort of like awesome middle guy in 
five out looks, delay looks. And that's where you can use his plus field to make reads and make plays with savvy guards and shooters and cutters. And, you know, he could be a, a dribble handoff tower and playmaker. And that's when you get to see even more of his sort of like intuitive flip screen, rescreen, pop a roll, slip to the hoop. Um, you know, it has a little bit of handle, but it's, it's pretty limited too. So, and, and he's got great touch, you know, on cuts, putbacks. Like he just spends his point about his motor. Like he just finds like cheap points, you know, and I mean that like in a good way, like he's just like around the ball. Um, and he, and again, he's got good touch to finish once he has it. Um, yeah, for me with Shingun, it's going to come down to how good of a three point shooter can he be athletically? How does he develop? Like, I have no doubt that Shingun's going to be a guy that like can get to like, be a mid thirties, three point shooter, but on what kind of volume, what kind of shots, right? That's sort of what I'm getting at. And then defensively, how, how, how much can he prove in terms of that drop pick and roll defense? Because he's got nowhere to go, but up really. Um, And then how athletically, how much more can you get out of him? And I think the other thing too, like he's just 18. I think maybe the hope is that he's still, growing, getting stronger, whatever. Cause like, I think you'd like to maybe even see a little more size and, 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 and length at the center position too. I'd like some official measurements, but, but I, what I'm saying is like, I don't think he's like a, a really like big center. Even if we say in there are certain contexts where you can see a strength on display, very intriguing player, very good offensive player. Like I, I get it. And I'm to be clear, like I'm not out on Charlotte drafting him at 11. He would not be my first pick, but if they if they go that direction, like there there are some things that I, I like with Singoon that are pretty exciting, specific to his offense that that I do like. Quick thought, because you were discussing kind of the roster construction piece of this. It doesn't have to be with the center position, which we know Charlotte they better fill this offseason one way or another. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't have to be draft or free agency. They can draft Singoon. And sign, for instance, Nerlens Noel. Yeah. Start Nerlens Noel and bring Sangoon off the bench as this offensive savant that, that might give you some instant offense in your rookie season. We'll see. But now the only thing that that means is that you you know you're kind of you're washing your hands with with Kerry or Richards. But whatever, like those were second round picks. We knew at the time they were done. <laughs> but but like but those were second round picks. So I, I you know just as we think about well how are they going to do it? Are they going to do it through the draft? Are they going to do it? It can be both. Yeah, I mean, this was the this is like the the benefit of them post Kemba, you know, keeping all their draft picks. Now they they burnt one so they could get back into the draft and draft Nick Richards last year, which was perplexing and looks just looks like more bizarre by the day. Um, I'm still kind of like on Ver- Vernon Carey Jr. as like a development piece. Um, almost in a role that could be like similar to, to Sengun, honestly, like, 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 but we'll see, we we may have a ways to go before we get there. I would have liked to have seen him play more, uh, down the stretch, um, instead of just lighting minutes on fire with Bismarck, but I, you know, I get it. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe there's another gear with Richards, but like, I just didn't see it with him coming out of Kentucky, but to Spencer's point. Uh, yes, Charlotte nuked some of the cap space with the Hayward deal and stretching Batum, but you know, they, they aren't there. This is the best. They're the second best cap situation they've had in like how long, right? Like they, they, they actually have a route to cap space so they could actually go after a center and free agency with cap space. Like when the hell was the last time they could, 
they could even conceive of something like that. And then they have all their picks too. So it's like, uh, or all, they have all their first round picks. They have all the meaningful picks at least. <laughs> the answer to your question is the disastrous summer of 2016, which we will not be repeating this summer. Yeah. So yeah, but, but, he, but, he, but even that was like different. Cause you're just bringing all of those guys back. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And so, it was cap spike time. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But this is, this is the, this is the first time where you're like, you're like, all right, you can scan the league. You know, a need that you have, and you have a tool that should be or could could be could produce you know produce one of these guys. So um, that is exciting. And yeah, I, I wouldn't be totally surprised if they went this route of you know signing a center and, and drafting a center, whether it be Shingun or Isaiah Jackson or JT Thor or whatever, um, or, or Kai Jones. If you see of him as like a uh, you know a, a five, uh, he's almost a four and a half or a whatever at this point. But just because the defensive concerns with him, but. Yeah, but but then it still leaves like the well, what are you doing in terms of the wing and, and and trying to like add something to your perimeter defense that like desperately needs help because the thought of like playing the Martin twins more like that ain't like that ain't the like for for a variety of reasons that ain't the solution and and maybe maybe it's play Jalen McDaniels more but but that does some stuff to your your team in terms of like playmaking and creation too. So there's some fixes on the roster but probably not the ones you're actually like needing for like long term or at least like in terms of like even contention next season that are really available to you. So you're probably going to have to pull a lever with that either with the draft or free agency or what have you. All right, we'll go ahead and wrap here. I love Shangun's playmaking out of pick and roll. Uh, I think despite not being a true lob threat, BG, I, I still like his fit perfectly fine within Charlotte's offense, especially if he does develop that shot. I, I think if he had more two-way impact right now, I, I think I'd be higher on this pick. I also think it's just because I'm locked into trying to figure something out with Rashawn Holmes and hoping that pans out and just go wing at 11 yeah, that's kind of my thought process behind this. So it's a little bit biased in it. I feel like I'm not giving him a true shot here. So, yeah. yeah. By the way, shout out to uh, Ricky O'Donnell from uh, SB Nation who wrote a thing today about uh, Team USA and their struggles. And he left a note on Twitter saying, uh, hint, like Team USA, add, uh, add LaMelo Ball and Rashawn Holmes to the roster. And my thought was, no, 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 <laughs> add that to the roster in Charlotte. Charlotte. Let's, yeah, yeah. Do, let's yeah. do that in Charlotte. Yeah, we should. We'll, we can talk more about Holmes. Maybe um, it'd be nice if there was a bigger gap between the draft yeah. and free agency. But uh, I'm sure we'll have some time before the end of July to to get to maybe a little more on Rashawn Holmes. Hey, Richie, maybe something we should get to before the draft gets here, like which we covered earlier, is very, very quickly is. Um, we talked about it a little bit, but the possibility possibility of Charlotte trading back into the first round. There's a number of teams, um, and I think then we could kind of tap into more of what we were getting to today. Is like, all right, how do you how do you address all these needs on the roster with yeah the cap space and the draft? Well, if you had two first round draft picks later on, that you you could do some of that a little bit yeah. more strategically. So maybe something we can touch on next. Trade trade back to I don't know if Shingun would be at 16, but trade back to 16 and 18 and get Shingun and Jaden Springer at those two picks. Mm. Uh, and then sign Rashawn Holmes. We, I think Spencer, I think you and I talked about that with relation to OKC in Houston. Uh, we Houston, did a little bit. A little we bit, did. I, yeah. I just think it might might be good to maybe dive into that for like twenty five minutes. Or yeah. Next week. Yeah. yeah. And, and by the way, Richie, you tweeted this earlier on Twitter too. But uh, shout out to uh, Isaiah Miller, recent oh, guest yeah. on Buzzbeat. 
who Richie and I had the pleasure of getting to sit down and talk with for a little while. He did work. In fact, as he said on that podcast, that he was going to work out with the Hornets. Um, I believe Tuesday, the 13th of July, he worked out with yep. Charlotte. So that was cool to see. Yep. All right. For Spencer, for BG, I am Richie. We will see you guys next time. Have a good one. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.